This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, state officials announced last week that Colorado is apparently pretty far behind on our 2030 climate goals. But the State Energy Office has also got a bunch of fresh ideas. So today, I'm talking to Colorado Sun reporter Michael Booth about how realistic any of these ideas are and how they'll affect all of us. Today is Monday, November 13th. I'm Paul Caroli, and here's what Denver's talking about. Michael Booth, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thanks for having me on. We always appreciate it. So last week, you reported that the Rocky Mountain Institute has published a new analysis showing that Colorado is set to miss its 2030 emission reduction goals by nearly 12 million tons of carbon dioxide per year. Uh, My first question is, is that a lot? It's a lot. It's a lot when you look at the millions of tons that we're talking about with carbon, and we could get into that in more detail about what percentage we're talking about. The state would like to say that the study that they commissioned The right way to look at it or their way to look at it is that the glass is 85% full toward their goals. And just reminding people what goals it is that we're talking about. The state decided to put into statute its targets for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And they set these targets that are coming up on us pretty quick, all now with the target of reaching net zero, meaning Colorado's economy overall is not putting that new carbon into the air by 2050. Wow. The results that came out from the RMI study, and RMI, of course, is a nonprofit that is very experienced in analyzing energy use. Conservative estimate is that if we did nothing else, we would be missing the target in 2030 by about 12 million tons. So you talked to the head of Colorado's energy office, Will Tour. Is that his name? Is that how you pronounce it? Will Tour? Yes. So Will Tour says it's uh, the glass is 15 percent empty or 85% full, I think. It's his job to hit the numbers, right? What does he say is going wrong? He's saying that it's not that we're wrong. It's that there are policies in place and a conservative estimate is not accounting for some of them and they should get us closer to that target by then. But then he's also saying, yes, acknowledging that there is more that needs to be done. They also added a list of things that we need to do over the next few years to get to that 100%. Yeah, let's talk about them. Let's get into like uh, transit. How about transit? Transit's a big one. What are the state's best ideas on transit? They want to expand the free fare program that has been going on the last couple of years. So RTD, for example, had free fares for everybody in July and August of this past year. And they that is paid for in part by state money. RTD loses some money. State backfills some of that. Uh, state offer the same program for rapid transit systems around the state. And some of them did that. Some of them had very good responses from people with an increased ridership in those months. They want to talk about more front range rail is something that they hope will be in place over the next few years. 
although that will cost billions and millions of dollars. Nobody knows where that money's going to come from yet. Yeah, and no one knows quite who's going to ride that rail either, is my understanding. Is that your understanding too? Yeah, I think there's a lot more proving to be done, which is why they don't talk about it that much. We don't hear about it in between because they're still doing research. We don't know the Front Range Rail, to remind people, go all the way from Pueblo up through Denver, Colorado Springs first, then Denver, then uh, take a left, head toward Boulder, Longmont, then end up in Fort Collins. Nobody knows yet how many people are really interested in riding Front Range Rail from, say, Pueblo to Denver every day. It's probably a pretty small number. There are a lot of people who want to go from Denver to Boulder and Boulder to Denver, and people are upset that RTD doesn't currently do that. Mm-hmm. But how you get those numbers back is is tough. But that's one of our best ideas right now is what it sounds like. That's what the state's excited about is the front range passenger rail. The zero fare for better air thing, uh, that, that has clearly been a priority for them. Everybody seems very excited about that. I keep talking on the show about this. I still have not seen any data to show a corresponding decrease in car driving uh, with all of the increases in transit use during those months. Michael, have you seen that data? I have not seen that they have proven it takes a real dent out of all the carbon emissions from driving. And that with last year, we wrote a story about where the big gap is in that 12 million tons by 2030. The most stubborn area for them to cut in greenhouse gases and carbon emissions has been transportation. Really? Partly because we proposed something that's specific on changing people's driving habits. People really resist it and business definitely resists it. How big of a chunk? Give me a sense of the scale. Well, in the transportation alone, we are missing the mark by about 10 million tons. Oh, so that's like most of it. That is a lot of it. And yes, it's again, it's stubborn. Electric power, which is where a lot of the emissions come from, they've been able to cut that by quite a bit. And they are doing a good job. They're getting to the targets they need on that. They're not hitting it so much in oil and gas, not hitting so much in transportation and other sectors of the economy. Um, So very connected to transit is housing. And uh, I mean, that's Governor Jared Polis's whole argument when he was pitching his big urban densification plan back at the legislative session last year. He said, uh, climate policy is housing policy. Housing policy is climate policy, transportation policy. I, (laughs) I don't remember which was exactly which. Let me be clear. Housing policy is climate policy. Housing policy is transportation policy. Housing policy is economic policy. Housing policy is water policy. And housing policy is public health and equity policy. So that still seems to be a big part of this plan is this densification. What what do you expect the impact is there? Like if he's successful with this densification, do you have a sense of how big of a chunk that would take out of these goals? They are counting on it. They call it land use planning overall because they're talking about housing, but they're also talking about clustering people's offices, people's schools, everything they need to do in retail all around transit that people would get out of their cars and use transit, use bicycles, use walking. And so a lot of the plan to hit their targets requires land use planning by CDOT, by local agencies and by local governments. And so you can project that into the future, but it's very difficult to get done. Yeah, As you mentioned, Polos tried to do this last year with a lot of things targeted at creating more affordable housing. Most of it was rejected by the legislature, in part because local governments object. They don't like being told what to do with land use planning. And land use planning also takes 20, 30 years to actually have an impact because the arc of development is a long arc. And so 
it's very hard to build those projections into anything in the near term by 2025 or even 2030. That's so interesting because it sounds like this housing reform might have an effect on the 2050 goals, whether or not we can get to net zero, like you said, uh, but not at all in the short term. And, you know, as a politician for Jared Polis, I got to imagine that might mean it's less of a priority. I, I don't know. How do you feel like climate plays into the politics? Well, it's, I think the more urgent need for people's questions and demands of the legislature is for affordable housing. So the trick then is for people who are working on climate change is to say, okay, let's jump on the affordable housing train and prove to people that working on affordable housing and working on density is a way to get to more than one goal at the same time. And so you uh. add climate change in there and say, if we're going to meet those targets, we have to do this. And it could be a way for the Colorado Energy Office and other people who work on this to say, uh, look, we are missing our targets. Uh, yes, we're 85% there, but if you want to get to those targets that we set for ourselves, you're going to have to do more work at the legislature this year in coming years. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. I want to talk about a really, really big picture question with you, because I think you've been reporting on this a long time. The growth question and how that plays into the state's calculations on climate, you know, like more people using more stuff, driving more, just like more person driving hours, period, in Colorado. But I know that's controversial talking about growth and people coming here or not. Uh, so how do you, how does the state think about that? The state seems to be thinking a little bit differently about it than it used to. They have put a pod on some of the tourism promotion and marketing that goes on around the state because a lot of the mountain towns are saying, look, we're full. We don't need you guys to be advertising how great Colorado is. Everybody already knows that. And we're trying to deal with affordable housing in our communities for our employees, trying to deal with short-term rentals. So some people in the state are saying, okay, maybe we can't count on 5 10% growth a year on into infinity for Colorado. So they are talking about that. They're saying, if we are going to be getting growth in people's driving, then let's make sure it's happening with electric driving that can depend on clean electricity generated by clean power stations, clean solar, clean wind. And so that transition is starting to happen. It's slow. Uh, you know, they want a million electric cars on the road by 2030. And they seem to be on that arc right now. But every time you change the incentives, you change the rebates, it can slow that down. Hmm. So that's again, it's a very complex policy to think about and you have to sort of take it off in small chunks. Well, that's interesting though, that he's shifting the money from tourism to these incentives and rebates more. Like that's a clear demonstration of the governor's priorities. And I, I just love it when it's so specific like that. Um, 
Something that's very relevant to us here in Denver, uh, because it was an issue in our mayor's race, is natural gas hookups in new residential construction, um, as opposed to like making those new houses and apartment buildings have like electric stoves, um, which I can't stop saying the way Ron DeSantis says. I have that hit the way there's this one moment where he says it is uh, gas stoves. Um, anyway, uh, so our new mayor, Mike Johnston, he supports the idea. His opponent opposed it. We voted for Johnston, though. You say now that the energy office does not like this idea of banning natural gas hookups. What's what's the situation here? Well, they want and have a lot of incentives in place for new homes and existing homes to transition to cleaner electric appliances of all kinds. That means for your furnace, if it's currently with natural gas, they would like you to transition when you need to replace it to a clean electric heat pump, for example. They would like mm -hmm. you to change out your gas stove for an electric stove um, and all the kinds of new models that they have available in that. So then we asked Will Tour if you are all are counting on that kind of transition to get to your climate goals, are you willing to have a complete ban in new construction on natural gas hookups? Some communities in Arvada and other places have asked for that and said, look, if you're going to approve new development, why not just stop having natural gas lines come into those places as an option? Right. And I just want to you know, make it clear to everybody, you know, when we say uh, don't tread on Florida or let us alone, uh, we mean that, including on your gas stoves. You're not taking our gas stoves away from us. That is your choice. And I know many people... And they have said, no, we're not willing to go that far yet. We believe that it's a consumer choice. We're trying to do carrots instead of sticks. So you provide rebates for people, provide lots of incentives for developers to go to electric, but you don't do a ban. And that's kind of the polis philosophy, right? Overall, in a lot of areas of government, as a sort of semi-libertarian, he has said, we prefer carrots over sticks. We don't like banning things. We don't like having the government be a complete nanny state and telling everybody exactly how they need to run their lives. So that's the tension. And that's not going away anytime soon. It really is classic Polis. I mean, this is this is his signature move. He's all about carrots. Loves his carrots. Yep. Um, so, Michael, there's probably people listening to this right now who are just livid uh, because we haven't talked about the oil and gas industry at all. Um, it's huge. Uh, big emitter, obviously. Also a big economic driver. Um, so I imagine it's always a dance with elected officials who want to limit emissions, um, but they also know... You know, that's that's tax money they're saying no to, basically. What's what's Polis's strategy here? They really want to lean into things that have already been passed by the Air Quality Control Commission and the Oil and Gas Commission, which now has a new name that I can never remember because I haven't made that personal transition yet in my head. <laughs> but they have passed rules. For example, the biggest one is it's called intensity. Mm. So they want oil and gas companies to limit overall their methane emissions from leaks and from the things that naturally happen during production and distribution. And they're saying that we have an intensity standard for each barrel of oil produced. You need to overall start ratcheting down the emissions that are related to that in production. And that's going to be taking place. Those rules are now happening and being written and being enforced. They're saying that impact has not been seen yet in carbon reduction, and it will be because methane is a sort of a super driver of carbon emissions. So they believe that there are some new oil and gas limits that need to happen, but they're saying what we really need to do is start enforcing what's in place and making sure that we follow up on that. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, that sounds like nothing new, basically. They, they just want to do what they've already done. Well, they're saying it is new because Colorado is a leader on those rules nationwide and how they handle the fracking industry and how they uh, set the rules on that. They just It's just not as sexy as a new complete set of bans or rules because you're just enforcing and writing the fine print of, the, of rules that have already been passed by commissions. So there are new things that are changing, but it's going to take years for it to show up in the system. How about Suncor? Suncor is the thing that matters to a lot of Denverites, myself included. You know, that's that's a huge plant refinery. They make uh, jet fuel, uh, asphalt. Um, you know, how, how big of a factor is that in the overall state climate picture? You know, just to get a sense of um, what the cost is. Yeah. So for greenhouse gases, for example, Suncor emits somewhere between half a million and a million tons of carbon in its production in a year. So out of 120, 130 million tons of carbon overall, it's a significant industrial chunk and puts them in a high category of pollution control. And when you control greenhouse gases at Suncor, you're also controlling other things that are bad for the metro area, including ground level ozone and local pollutants that the neighborhoods have to worry about. There are some people in the environmental movement who would like to see Suncor shut down completely. This Nobody in state government has said that they're going along with that yet, and I doubt if the Polish administration would ever go along with that. No, I don't think they're interested in that. Because it's the only green in the West, you know, and they provide a lot of the gasoline and a lot of the jet fuel for not just Colorado, but the entire Front Range. So it's just too important to them. That's what they're saying, right? It's just too important to the economy here. So they're not going to shut it down. I mean, I get that. That's a big step. Um, but half a million pounds of carbon, million pounds of carbon, that would have been a big chunk out of that 12 million we're trying to hit by 2030. Um, maybe we could end on some wins, Michael. Where, where are the wins going to come here in the next few years? So you got to continue the policies that are in place. You got to start enforcing in a tougher way on industrial areas like Suncor, the cement factories that put out a lot, the power plants that put out a lot, and the coal plants are scheduled to close. Look at it this way. So Comanche and Craig power units are coal-fired power plants in Colorado that put out between 7 and 10 million tons each in a year. So when those shut down, you get a big gain. And so you've got to close those out. And you know the environmental movement says close them even sooner. Move out the closing date to before 2030, and we can start to see some improvements. Well, Michael Booth, this was fascinating. Thank you so much for coming and, and sharing your reporting. Um, I learned a lot. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for your time. And thanks for you guys for going in depth. Always, Michael. Always. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Colorado Energy Office Director Will Tour about us. Rate the show five stars wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you then. I just want to you know, make it clear to everybody, you know, when we say uh, don't tread on Florida or let us alone, uh, we mean that, including on your gas stoves. You're not taking our gas stoves away from us. That is your choice. And I know many people who cook a lot do not want to part with their gas stoves. And so we're going to stand up for that.